So hey guys, we're back with another one. And today we are with Donna Harrell. And Donna Harrell, in my eyes, she may say different and laugh at me. But in my eyes is the um, is the top historian researcher in the Younger family. Cole Younger, um, really about the, the Kansas-Missouri Wars, the Border Wars. Um, she's a, you're a Missourian, right? Missourian? Yes. Yep. And uh, she's one of the top researchers. She doesn't have any books out, um, but you can find her her interviews here on uh, Cochise County Travels as well as the Wild West History Association. And she's a speaker, and she's all over the all over Arizona discussing the Cole Younger family, the Youngers, Jesse James, um, and this is her second time back. And welcome back. Uh, of course, um, Donna and I want to remind you to become a subscriber to the Tombstone Epitaph. That's Arizona's longest-running newspaper. You can get a yearly subscription at 25 bucks, or just do a three-year subscription at $60 and save $15, and then you get the paper delivered right to your door on a monthly basis. And it's, it's a newspaper, so it's like holding Tombstone and Western History and the herbs and Doc Collie like right in your hand because it go, it gets delivered to your door and it's fantastic. And Mark Boardman and the staff over there at the Epitaph do a great job. And you can find that at tombstoneepitaph.com. Uh, also want to thank all the folks, everybody, including Donna, who's a board member at the Wild West History Association. Uh, I urge you to join that. Uh, it is 75 bucks a year. And there are savings if you continue to go up. But the big thing is about the journal or the Western History Association is the journal. And I, I think it was Pam Potter or to admit it, and it might have been, um, Donna who said it's a book. Like if you look at the journal and say, Oh, $75 is a lot for to join a group. You get the book, you get the journal, which is a hundred plus pages of completely research history. No junk ads, no cosmetics, no televisions, no trip ads, you know, none of that stuff. It's just straight research history. It's a hundred plus pages and you're actually getting a book. So you're basically getting a book for less than $20. It comes out four times a year. Plus you get all the other benefits of uh, being able to connect with researchers and historians. And almost all of the people that have been on my podcast have all been from being a uh, Wild West History member. And uh, and then we connected and then here we are. Here we are a year later with almost 30 hours of Western history on my podcast. Um, so if you want to join, you can do so at the wildwesthistory.org. And of course, coming up in July is the Roundup at Rapid City. Uh, we're going to be taking trips on a bus over to Deadwood and Mount Moriah Cemetery and Rushmore. And, oh my gosh, it's crazy what's going to be going on. It is three days of Western Conference, Western History Conference. And, uh, gosh, you can do that. But if you go to the website at wildwesthistory.org, you can find more information there. And you can join and you can come to Rapid City. We'd love to see you. I'd love to see you. And, um come and take pictures and and we're going to have a great time and I know Donna's going to be there and uh she's speaking and it's going to be a great time. Uh did I cover that right? Everything's there? Yeah, you did. Okay. You're, you're very thorough. Very thorough. Sometimes Donna will add stuff like you're not thorough enough. Um <laughs> that's not true. That is true actually. 
Um, so I don't know a lot about the younger, the Cole Younger, Jesse James family. We started off on the last time we did the, an interview, which was the beginning of this year, I think, January 2022. <clears throat> and we spoke a little bit about her family history. We spoke about Tombstone. Oh my gosh, all sorts of stuff. So go back and listen to that one. Dining in Tombstone, the type of foods they had, cuisine. And then we started talking about her family history. And she is a relative, actually a direct descendant of the Youngers, correct? The Youngers? Correct. And she's really the one that knows all about it, including the Missouri-Kansas Wars, Quantrill's Raiders. I did some reading, you know, Camp... Camp Jackson Massacre, uh, the Battle of Boonville. I mean, she's, she's got all of this. And I don't even want to try to even interject and say that I know everything about it because I don't. So welcome, Donna. Welcome. Thank you for coming back. Well, thanks, Mike. It's good to be back and good to share history on your awesome Cochise County Travels website and your uh, podcasts. It's a lot of good information, a lot of good interviews out there. She's she's just saying that because she said, when we come to Rapid City, like you owe me, um, you know, like, I don't know, dinner, like you're going to have to buy dinner for my husband and I, and I'm like, oh, okay. Or, you know, or you're going to have to clean, you're going to have to do all the laundry because we're going to be there for three days. So you're going to have to do the laundry. Um <laughs> That may be that may be the deal you have with one of the, some of the other folks, but oh, she says that that's not true. Um, so you're a you're a direct descendant of the the younger family, and you've done a lot of research because the younger family, the youngers, were really a product of the Civil War. But I was surprised in the fact that you mentioned, and if I got it wrong, please correct me. As always that their family was, was well-to-do. Um, Very, yes. And so can you go through that, that what we spoke about yesterday in the pre-interview, how the Youngers go from a well-to-do family to members of Quattrill's Raiders? Well, it's a very interesting story. And as you say, they were a wealthy family. The... Their father was Henry Washington Younger, known as Harry, and his father was a pioneer from Kentucky that went into Missouri in like 1809. Eventually, he moved and moved his family to Missouri back in the, about the time that the, it became a state in 1812. And when Harry grew up, like his his own father, he was a big landowner. He bought lots of land in Jackson County around uh, what's now Lee's Summit. And then he also owned a lot of land in Cass County, which is kind of adjacent to Jackson. And they had a lot of land around Harrisonville. Harry Younger had uh, businesses. He had livery stables where he had some of the finest horses that you could get around. He would kind of import them from Kentucky. He had dry goods stores in Harrisonville. 
the family, they had multiple farms that they worked. The Youngers were slave owners, but in those days, in Missouri especially, it wasn't like the Deep South with slaves. It was more a handful, and they worked in the house. They worked alongside the masters. Sometimes they would even, if the masters would go off to another farm or another business, they would leave the slaves in charge. And so it was a little bit different and slavery, slavery and bad, but it was a different lifestyle for them. Harry married uh, Bersheba Fristo. The Fristos, her father, John Fristo, was big into politics. I think he was one of the first uh, judges in Jackson County. In fact, he was a pioneer of Jackson County and was instrumental in the the county being named Jackson after Andrew Jackson. The Fristos, too, had a lot of money. They had a lot of wealth. They had uh, a lot of land around in that area. So Bersheba grew up fairly wealthy, and when she married Harry, they had a big lifestyle uh, with wealth and privilege, and they were very well regarded in that area of Missouri. They ended up having 14 children, eight girls, and six boys. One of the boys died as a baby. The oldest son, Dick, he died young before the Civil War. And so that left the four, Cole, Jim, John, and Bob, that ended up being outlaws later in life. Now, I descend from one of the sisters named Emma, and she was the second to the youngest sister and that's my great great grandmother so that's where a lot of my interest comes in into the family so there were this wealthy family they lived normal boyhoods the the younger boys they hunted and fished and went to school they went to really good schools had really good education especially dick and cole who were the two oldest ones in fact dick went to college he went to college and he graduated college they had enough money and then after he graduated he came back and he was a business owner before his death and then Cole was going to go to college. He was set that he was going to follow Dick into college. And, uh, but Civil War kind of stopped that. And that was the biggest influence on the Youngers, the Jameses, and so many others in the area, how their lives were turned upside down and changed forever by the events of the Civil War in Missouri. And it was probably the bloodiest place in America during the Civil War. And a huge amount of hatred. And hatred 
that lasted for generations, for years, and to a certain extent and certain members of the population, maybe not hatred, but still sign of generational unhappiness and, and ill feeling, even today. And it all started back in 1854 with the Kansas-Nebraska Act. Prior to that, it was equal, equal number of slave states and free states. And these were determined by Congress. And they decided that by doing this Kansas-Nebraska Act, they were going to bring Kansas Territory and Nebraska Territory and make them states. And they decided that they would have the population of those states decide if they were going to be free or slave, which that's nice. It makes sense. And, and to let the, the people decide, but it caused a huge, um, problem with everybody kind of conceded that Nebraska was going to be free. So it stood the reason that Kansas was going to be slave. Well, since there, there was a choice in the matter, people started going into the Kansas Territory to influence the voting and the decision one way or the other. So as well as people that just wanted land, they didn't care if it was free or slave. They, even if they came from the South, from Southern slave-owning roots, they weren't necessarily wanting to bring their slaves into Kansas. They just wanted the free land and a good start and to become wealthy and have a good life. And then there were the people that were staunch, radical abolitionists like John Brown and his family that moved from the Northeast and they wanted to go into Kansas to influence the direction of the state and the voting. Hmm. Well, with Missouri, to the north was Iowa, which was free. To the east was Illinois, which was free. So they didn't, although Arkansas to the south was slave, they didn't want to be surrounded on three sides by free staters. Now, there wasn't a huge population of slaves in Missouri, probably, you know, just a had 10, 15% of the population were slave. It was, it was not a huge slave state. And most of those were to the western half of the, of the state. So having Kansas free would mean losing, possibly losing their slaves to freedom that they would run away. But so... But all of this is happening because I, and there were skirmishes that were going on and conflicts that were going on that was starting to mold the younger boys, correct? Certainly, yeah. Did you mention were, that, the, that their family, the father had passed away? Well, not yet. Okay. Um, uh, in the pre, this was the pre years, what was called the border wars gotcha. and radicals in 
the abolitionists would raid southern people of southern descent. The people of southern descent would raid abolitionists. Then they started crossing over the border into Missouri and they would raid farms and grab the slaves and take all the furnishings of the houses and then they would take them back to Kansas. Then what were called Missouri ruffians would cross the border into the Kansas territory to retaliate and try to steal it back or get it back. And there were all kinds of skirmishes. Uh, John Brown and his family were part of the Osawatomie, Kansas uh, massacre where they went and they grabbed Southern descended farmers out of their homes and they, they hacked them to death with swords. And there was a, just stuff going on back and forth. Now, the Youngers, Harry Younger was what was called a constitutional unionist. And the there were people that were rabid slave for slavery and for free state uh, states' rights. Then there were the abolitionists that were in favor of the federal government. And then there were the people in between. And Harry Younger was kind of one of the in-betweens. He wanted the status quo. He was totally against secession. He wanted the union to stay together. But he wanted slavery to continue. So basically he wanted the status quo. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to end or to change anything. And there were a number of people that believe that. So when it was time for Missouri to decide if they were going to secede or not, the delegates of which Harry Younger was one voted to not secede that they, Missouri was going to declare itself neutral and not secede. So in 1861, they decided that Kansas did become a state. It became a free state. And once the war started happening, there was a, one of the Kansas Raiders was Jim Lane. And he used to raid during the border war back and forth into Missouri and raid farms. He was given a commission by President Lincoln to start a regiment. Well, then there was another group under a man named Charles Jensen, and they were called Jensen's Jayhawkers. And Jensen... I got to stop you. What is a Jayhawker? For those that don't know, explain that, would you please? A Jayhawker is... You've got a Blue Jay. Mm -hmm. And a Blue Jay steals from other people's nests or other birds' nests. Hmm. And then you've got a hawk who is sort of a predator. So it's a made-up term, I think probably made by Missourians, that they were jayhawkers because they would 
go into Missouri from Kansas, and they would leave Kansas, and they go into Missouri, and they would steal from farms. They would steal the slaves, the cattle, the furnishings, pianos, uh, clothes. They would steal everything in a house, and then they would take it back to Kansas, mm-hmm. and they would put all this booty into warehouses and then they would have auctions mm. and auction off all this stuff. So they were called Jayhawkers. And, and if you've seen a lot of the, some of the movies, they'll also talk about red legs. Well, Jim Lane's group, the men wore red leggings on from like their knees to, you know, the top of their, uh, boots and these red leggings and that's why they would be called red legs hmm. and so they would raid into Missouri and steal everything that wasn't nailed down and, and burn burn farms uh, Harry Younger they were living in um, Youngers were living in Harrisonville and Harrisonville was attacked in 1861 and his livery stable was was stole. All the horses were taken, all the stuff in there was taken, dry goods store, things were taken, homes were burned. Um there were so much going on in other uh places in Missouri, the town of city of Osceola was destroyed. Dozens of residents were killed by the red legs and the Jayhawkers that came in. But they were, they were part of Lane's brigade, correct? Yes. And they really, their goal was to wipe it off the map. And luckily they didn't because I've looked at pictures of the town. It's a beautiful town, but at the time that was their goal, correct? Right. Right. That's true. Well, see in Missouri, had voted not to secede, but they didn't want any Union troops in the state. And so the Union decided, well, we're we're moving troops into your state. So the governor of Missouri started the State Guard to kind of push the invaders out. Well, the State Guard had a few a few victories in southern Missouri, but eventually they were driven out, and the elected government of Missouri was driven out of the state, and the state was put under martial law. But in irony, the governor of Missouri, he did secede, and he joined the Confederate States of America. So I think Missouri is either the 12th or the third. I think it's the 12th star on the Confederate flag. So... Even though the governor seceded and joined the state to the Confederacy, the reality was is that Missouri was still part of the Union and under martial law. And so it's kind of the unusual situation is to actually it was in both the Confederacy and the Union. Hmm. So that was different. So there was just all stuff kinds of things going on, raids back and forth from one side of the border, getting steadily brutal, more brutal. 
the younger farms were raided and the younger businesses were raided. Now, Cole Younger, he didn't want to be neutral like his father. He preferred them to go with the Confederacy. He he didn't like how the Red Legs and the Jayhawkers, under the protection of the Union Army and the federal government, how they were attacking Missourians. And, but Harry... Younger said, no, we're, we're neutral. Mm -hmm. Well, the neutrality ended in late 1861. Cole Younger escorted a number of his sisters to a dance at uh, a local farmer's home, uh, the Mockby home, Cuthbert Mockby. In fact, this home is one of the few homes in Cass County that survived and is still that wasn't burnt down by the Jayhawkers and the Red Legs and the Union troops. And so you can go, it's not a museum or anything, but you can go by, it's still there. Hmm. And so he had, the Mockbees held a dance. Well, some Union sold, militia soldiers came in and started to get a little too friendly with some of the ladies, including some of the younger girls. One of the girls went and complained to Cole that there was this captain that was bothering her and wouldn't leave her alone. So an argument and a fight ensued. And Captain, I think his name was Irvin Wally, he accused Cole of being a member of Quantrell's Raiders and said that he was going to arrest them. And the fist fight ensued, and eventually Wally pulled a gun and said, well, he was going to get Cole Younger. And the gun was taken away, and the Younger family all left. And when they got home, they told their parents what happened. And Harry Younger told Cole, you need to leave because you're going to be arrested. And... A lot of times these young men that were arrested and accused of riding with Quantrell were shot mm-hmm. and hung. And and so Cole left and he took a gun, which violated martial law. So he felt like, well, I'm going to be here out by myself. I'm not safe. So he went and found his brother-in-law, John Jarrett, who actually was riding with Quantrell. Mm -hmm. And Cole ended up joining Quantrell. And for those that, a little background on Quantrell, he was a man from Ohio. He was a school teacher who moved to Kansas during the 1850s. He started out on the side of the... uh, abolitionist groups he was not with lane or jensen but he was with some of the other um abolitionist groups he for whatever reason some say he just had to change part on who what side he thought was right versus he was a very ambitious man and he wanted to make a name for himself and not just be the school teacher. 
he got word to uh, this Missouri farm that they were going to raid. And he told them that, okay, well, I'm really on your side and we're going to set up an ambush. And so that's what happened. And so Quantrell was, for whatever reason, no military background or whatever, but he was a good leader and a good uh, personality. So the young men in the area flocked around him. And so he started this group of young Missourians that would attack the militia, who would try to run off the Red Legs and the Jayhawkers, and who put themselves out as the protectorates of the people in the western Missouri especially around the Kansas City, down within about 100 miles, one way or the other. And uh, he was one of the first what they called guerrilla leaders. At the very beginning, they were not affiliated with the Confederate Army. But they, but they, when they were on the Confederacy, there was discussion that they, they, he was unhappy with the direction that the Confederacy was going. Is that correct? And that he felt that they should be, that the Quantra Raiders got involved in guerrilla warfare. Is well, that right, or am was, I wrong? <clears throat> well, it was more the Confederate Army had because the Missouri was under martial law. The Confederate Army was gone, mm-hmm. and there was there was no one left of the Confederate Army in the state. Oh, they were a few recruiting. They were recruiting actually for the Confederate Army, but then they would take those young men off to Mississippi or Georgia or wherever as a a unit for Missouri, but they weren't actually fighting in the state or fighting to regain control of the state, certainly in 1861. So these were just people, young men that wanted to retaliate against the incursions by the uh, Red Legs and the, and the Jayhawkers that were coming across and raiding the farms. Later on, the Confederacy started the Partisan Ranger Act, the Confederate uh, Congress. And in that act, Companies in states where the Confederacy didn't have a large presence, which, of course, Missouri, they considered it a Confederate state, but there were no Confederate soldiers in the state. So they allowed companies to be formed and they would be considered Confederate companies they would receive Confederate pay. They would com- get Confederate supplies. Mm-hmm. They would have to go to like to Arkansas or go somewhere in the actual Confederacy to get this. But they were allowed some autonomy in Missouri, but they still had to follow a lot of the Confederate rules. Well, Quantrell got a commission mm-hmm. in the Confederate Army, and he was a captain. 
in the Confederate Army under the Partisan Ranger Act. And he set up a company and they had a roster and they had ranks and they didn't really have Confederate uniforms because they couldn't get them. But uh, they, when they went to Arkansas and Texas, they drew Confederate pay and they went to the Confederate forts and outposts and they got supplies because they were Confederate soldiers. But they had some amazing members, right? Like there was Bloody Bill Anderson, um, yep. Jesse James, correct? Uh, later on in later the war, on, yeah. Uh, the Youngers later on. And it was all led by, his name was actually William Clark Quantrill. And, correct. And they were really attracted to him, I mean, not physically, but to the, what he was doing, correct? Like they wanted to be a part of Very it. Very much so. They wanted to retaliate. I mean, there was no other way that they could protect their state, protect their homes, their cities, was to join groups like this. And they were very loose associations. So there were farmers and you would just, oh, okay, well, I've got a free day uh, and Quantrell's in the area and they would go and join and raid for a day or do this engagement, but Quantrell was the largest of the guerrilla bands, but there were others. In fact, Bloody Bill Anderson mentioned he had his own group, and a lot of times, the let's see, there was George Todd had a group, there was a guy in um, southern Missouri, Samuel Hildebrand, had a fair-sized group down around oh, Cape Girardeau in the south uh, east corner of the state so a lot of times they would decide to have a big raid and they would need more than the 20 30 guys that they had with them and they would get together some of the other groups would join together and they would do a raid one time uh they raided independence and they had a battle in independence and they uh they routed the Union soldiers and militia that was there in the city, and they took it over and put up a Confederate flag. And then, but they knew they couldn't stay very long. They weren't an occupying force for any length of time. And then they they left, but they were very hit and run. They would see militia outposts or little... uh, guard somewhere and they would raid them or maybe if uh red legs and jayhawkers had made some raid in some community the the guerrillas as they were called would uh ambush them and get the stuff back and kill the red legs and the jayhawkers and but they were seen by the populace as they're protectors. They were protecting Western Missourians from the militia and from the Red Lakes and the Jayhawkers. Mm-hmm. But it was a tough time. Now, Cole Younger ended up joining with Quantrell's, which kind of fed into the narrative that Captain Wally, who ended up 
coming to the younger farm the next day and going, okay, we're, we're looking for his, your son. And it's like, well, he's not here. And no, he's never been in Wantrell's group and he's innocent protecting his sisters. And, uh, then they find out he was with Quantrell. Well, move forward to 1862 and, um, Harry Younger with some of his employees, they were going to Kansas City. Once again, Harrisonville had been raided. He'd lost all his stock. He'd lost his stuff in his dry goods store to marauding red legs and jayhawkers. So they went to Kansas City and he was talking, went to meet with uh, one of the authorities saying, hey, you know, we're unionists. And these Kansas people are raiding our cities and they're taking our stuff. What can you, the militia, do to protect us? We, we need protection. Well, he didn't get much help there. And he decided to go back to Harrisonville and leave his employees in Kansas City. Well, on his way home, he was ambushed. Very younger. He was ambushed and shot the pieces. Now, he had a money belt on him that was still on him when the body was found. So it wasn't a robbery. And uh, later, the it's in the union uh, records of dispatches that it was believed that Captain Wally and his men had ambushed Harry Younger and killed him. And Wally was under arrest with his men, and they were going to do a trial, but it didn't happen. Now, Harry Younger... I'm sorry, go ahead. He was um, taken back to the family and buried somewhere either on the farm or somewhere on younger property, which eventually became what's in Harrisonville, Orient Cemetery. Mm-hmm. If you go to Orient Cemetery, a memorial tombstone, a marker was a marker was put in mm-hmm. next to Harry's father, Charles Younger. Mm-hmm. But Harry is not buried at that spot. It's to this day, unknown where Harry Younger is buried. Gotcha. But did and, that rock? Uh, did that rock the the Younger family? Because Mark Boardman, in his very first interview, we were talking about you know death in the in the in during that period, a violent death. How it just it rocks a whole family and it changes generations. Did it really rock the Younger family? Very much so. Uh, you had to know, realized one, they were in the middle of a war. They'd been killed by Union soldiers. It was an area where they were under Union martial law. Harry was killed by Union soldiers. Their farms and their businesses were constantly being raided by Jayhawkers, Red Legs, who had the protection of the Union Army. Uh, so they were losing a lot of their wealth. There were some 
minor children that were, I guess the youngest was about eight or nine, and there were some young children. Back in those days, too, it was very, women didn't have a lot of rights to their wealth. There were um, executors to the estate because Harry had no will. And so Bersheba Younger had to apply to the court to get money from the estate so she could, you know, raise her family and keep her farm. Uh, Cole Younger, who had already joined with Quantrell's, now had another personal reason to hate the union and anyone that was involved with the union, much like others that were with Quantrell's that had lost fathers or brothers or their farms had been destroyed or their whole livelihoods and lives destroyed by during the border war or even the first year or two of the Civil War. So it brought a lot of um, a lot of hatred and a lot of sorrow. Again, they were not alone, very much not alone. Mm-hmm. But um, it didn't help. Right. And then later, as the war went on, um, they were. Bersheba and her fam, her young family were burned out of three or four homes. Mm-hmm. And they would move and go to a different place, and then they would show up and they would burn that one. And again, not unusual for the day. But things very much escalated um, Sometime in 1862 or 1863, a young, tall, quiet man joined Quantrell's group and became friends with Cole Younger, and his name was Frank James. And it became a lifelong friendship till the day that Frank James died. And um, in... 18 by 1863 things have gone gotten worse in the area the militia and the powers that be in Missouri they they had no way of figuring out how to get rid of this growing band of guerrillas and that were hitting and running and filing deciding to cross the border into Kansas just a little into the border and retaliating So they decided that, well, all the families of these guerrillas were helping them, the women folk and uh, people in the area. The men were all gone, either in the army, in Quantrell's or other guerrilla groups, or they were in hiding. So the women were helping. They were going and getting firearms and black market firearms and and getting information. They were spying and giving information to their guerrilla relatives. So it was decided to round up all the female relatives of the guerrillas and deport them out of the state. Mm. So the mothers, wives, sisters, cousins, all the women folk, get them out. 
So they would arrest these women and put them in prisons, makeshift, makeshift prisons or jails. They would occupy a building and make that room or those uh, floor and make it a prison for these women. And when I say women, some of them were girls as young as seven or eight years old. And they would put them in these makeshift prisons. Well, hmm. obviously, this was an era of chivalry where you don't, you don't really pick on the women. And to have their women arrested and imprisoned, that really hit the gorillas hard and, and definitely impacted the, how they felt about the militia and Union troops. Well, there was one in Kansas City, and it was a building owned by George Caleb Bingham, which at the time was in the Union Army. But then he later was a he was a painter, a famous painter. And the bottom floor of his there was a basement, and then the bottom floor was a dry goods store and then the upper floors he had a studio and then there was an empty floor where they imprisoned about 20 some odd girls and there were some cousins of some of the gorillas including the younger boys at one time a couple of their sisters were imprisoned at not at this prison but some of the others and three sisters of bill anderson were in this prison well People started seeing some odd things going on there and a lot of odd rumors. And some inspectors said, well, this building isn't safe. It's the ceiling's about to fall in. There's there's debris everywhere. The girls were complaining about weird noises and and lots of noises. And, and the Union soldiers started not wanting to be in the building because they were also hearing things going on that made them worry. And the dry goods store owner pulled all of his stuff out of the bottom floor. Well, one day the building collapsed. Mm. And, and they blamed it on the union, the didn't they? Sorry? They blamed it on the union? Well, yes. Uh, it was found that this was a building where the supports were connected to the next building and there were supports in the basement for the building and investigators found that some of the supports had been taken out. Uh. And uh, it was believed, rumors in town, stories in town in Kansas City, that the Union soldiers had uh, engineered the collapse of the building. It's not something that's been proved, but it definitely was the big story. A number of the girls were killed, including one of the sisters of Bill Anderson. One of the other sisters was crippled for life. There were other girls that were crippled for life. And um, these were not even teenagers. They were preteen girls. And... 
obviously that the, the, inflamed the gorillas. Yeah, they especially were, they Bill were Anderson. They were furious. They were they lost family members and they they were angry. They were it, it, it they were uh, they were done. Mm-hmm. Quantrell had had this idea for some time that he wanted to raid Lawrence. Lawrence was the home of Jim Lane. It was the home of Charles Jensen. And it was kind of the headquarters of all the Jayhawkers and Redlegs. A lot of the wagon loads of, of booty from Missouri was taken to Lawrence and auctioned off. So, most of the homes in in Lawrence were furnished by furniture and clothes and wares that were taken from Missouri. So, but it was it's quite a ways in Kansas. It's not a short. It's not like right across the border. And people around him had said, you know, this is too dangerous, and we. We we can't agree to going. Well, after the prison collapse, they were ready. Right. And they're like, okay, we're going. And uh, Quantrell sent a couple of men in disguise to spy on the town, on the city, to look around. What people don't realize is that there were some black members of Quantrell's men. And one he sent was John Nolan. And John Nolan could kind of mingle in around Lawrence and get information. And Lawrence, the people of Lawrence kind of felt that, you know, one of these days Quantrell's going to come over here. And they had uh, kind of a civil defense going where they would have drills and there were rumors that Quantrell and his men were coming. And for whatever strange reason, they decided to have all the guns for all their civil defense people. I'm saying that as a modern term, but they uh, had them in one site. They had them kind of in a kind of one place where all the guns were and the whole idea was that they would get warning of Quantrell coming and they would have enough time to get to this place where they would get all their guns out and so and defend the town well the locals kind of got tired of these nightly drills and false alarms and they figured, finally decided, nah, Quantrell's not going to come. It's all good. And they let their guard down. Hmm. Of course, that's when Quantrell came. Well, hold on. He, gather, he hold gathered on. Hold up on. men from <laughs> I need to his stop own you. men. Donna. Uh, what? We're out of time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so. Before we get into it, I know you're going to come back. We're going to continue this topic. Yeah. And before, because I do want to get more into Quantrell's Raiders um, and the breakup of Quantrell's Raiders the following, I think it was the following year that in 63 where you started to get a little bizarre. P. 
People weren't trusting him. His own men weren't trusting him. They started to splinter off into individual groups. There's all of that to talk about. Um, is there a book, if somebody's listening right now and they were like, God, there's just so much, like, is there a book that you would recommend that somebody go purchase or find at a library that talks about this? Well, yeah, uh, Quantrell's Raiders, uh, books, there's, there's many of them. Uh, one I like to, to recommend and it's, I like to recommend it because it's a personal story. Mm. It's called Three Years with Quantrell, and it's by uh, John McCorkle. And McCorkle was a member of Quantrell's. And so you get a little bit of a personal account of things that happened and things that happened around uh, a little bit more of a scholarly book is yeah. Quantrell of Missouri by Paul Peterson. Ooh. Okay. And uh, actually, he did three. He did uh, Quantrell in Texas and Quantrell in uh, Lawrence. Well, it almost and, sounds like a uh, deep dive, like a deep, so, all three books together is going to. It's uh, that would be a deep dive. Mm-hmm. And. Um, there's those that watch the movies. Uh, the Outlaw Josie Wales at the very beginning is very much a lot of that movie is very much what you would have seen kind of in those days. And what the things that happened to Josie were pretty standard of wow. uh, what happened to young men. There's also another movie Ride with the Devil, a little bit more modern with um, Tobey Maguire. And uh, so there's a number of books on the border wars and and, uh, some very interesting stories, definitely. Well, you'll you'll be back, right? And we're not going to go, you know, 10 months or what is it, six months? We won't do six months. Um, Okay. But again, thanks for Donna. This, If you want to go back through the podcast, you can find uh, Donna when we did speak in January. I think it was January of this year, uh, 2022, when we spoke about Tombstone, cuisine at Tombstone. Uh, yeah, the folks in Tombstone ate really well. Um, and then we're going to have Donna back. We're going to continue the, the Quantrill Raider because the younger family story is is very large. It's not something that you're just going to pass by overnight. And if you can imagine, Donna is on her phone pulling all of this out of her head. And that is amazing to me that when I've listened to her speak, she uses notes, but a lot of times she just looks straight out at the audience or wherever she's doing a public speaking. All the information you're hearing is completely from research, years and years and years of research, and it's all in her head. So I thank her for that. Uh, again, my friends over the Tombstone Epitaph, Arizona's longest-running newspaper. You can subscribe at the thetombstoneepitaph.com. And both of us, including Donna, like I said, who's a board member, I'm just a peon that when Donna shows up at the meetings, I open the door and make sure that her parking spot's clean. And, um, you, know, I, you know, I throw rose petals out at, at the sidewalk when she walks by. Um, 
Is that true? That's not true. Um, no, you ca- you carry in the luggage. Oh, I carry in the luggage. That's right. Carry and in I the do, luggage. And I do the laundry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can find Donna and everything that she's doing and uh, all the cool stuff that's going on at wildwesthistory.org. Uh, I urge you to join that. It's just a fantastic group. I, I love being a member. Uh, people will say, well, what do you get out of it? Well, I get Donna, and I get um, – John Bosnecker and Gary Roberts, who have all, and Bob Bozbell and Marshall Trimble, all of these people that you hear on the podcast is a directly from me joining the Wild West History Association. Uh, and that is not a lie. If it wasn't for the association, I would not have been able to connect with these amazing people. So I urge you to join and you can do so at wildwesthistory.org. Until next time, we appreciate you a bunch. I know Donna does as well. And thanks for listening and safe travels, and we'll see you soon.